the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning, you're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Thursday morning. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith, along with Damian Colado and David Dawson. Happy Thursday, guys. Hey, Gabby. Happy Thursday. Hey. Morning. Got a little powdered sugar on you there. I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. You don't. Yeah, yeah. We got beignets in the studio this morning. We do. Yes, we do. Nice Compliments of Deacon Richard. I will be with us a little later on this morning, as a matter of fact. And, and more and more he'll be with us if he keeps doing that. You know, bring uh, a beignets. Shoot. There you go. Yeah, might make them part of the show. Huh? That's right. Uh, today is the feast day or the celebration of the chair of St. Peter. And you wonder why we celebrate such a chair. Well, there has more meaning than the chair itself, which you'll find out a little later on. But we'll begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. St. Peter, you were a weak and sinful man, but God entrusted you with great responsibility. Please pray for us that despite our unworthiness, we may be open to all that God entrusts in myself, and may we also use those gifts for his glory and the salvation of souls. St. Peter and all your successors in heaven, pray for us. Pray Jesus, for us. I trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Damien. We will learn more about the chair of St. Peter later on during our Saint of the Day. But at 10 after, we have some wonderful events in our listening area. We will give you details about, and you have been sending us those events as well because you're listening to this segment. So thank you so much to all those who send events daily. We've been posting them on our calendar right now at ccmedia.live. You can check those out. In 18 minutes, Deacon Richard Abadante will be joining Damien and Dave in the Baton Rouge studio, and he's already enticing them with mm -hmm. beignets and his wonderful segment on his call to the diaconate and vocations. He's a deacon over at saint jean Venet in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. In 35 minutes, David Dawson Jr. joins us. He is the COO of Witness to Love, and we talk about marriage and family life on Thursday. Today, he's going to be talking about the need to continue to choose your spouse. So looking forward to that conversation with Dave. And in 48 minutes, Stephanie Gray joins us. She is a Catholic author and pro-life advocate, and she's going to be talking about being pro-life today, the challenges that we face, and also her new book, My Body for You. So looking forward to today's show. Damien, looking forward to your weather report. What do you okay. have for us? Uh, well, we're going to have cloudy skies today. Sun will be peeking in and out, uh, but overall, um, not bad. Slight chance of rain, 15%, and it's going to be windy, to say the least. Winds are going to be somewhere between 15 and 25 miles an hour, blowing out of the south southwest, so it'll be a warm breeze coming off that gulf, a high 77 and a low is going to be 62 tonight. Tomorrow, we have less chance of rain, less than 5%. 
And uh, again, windy conditions. Winds will still be blowing at about 10 to 20 out of the north, though. So mm. they're going to totally shift from the south to the north. And the high still will be about 75. The weekend looks fantastic with the highs in the upper 70s. And uh, no rain. That's nice, nice to hear for a change. A yeah. weekend with no rain. Temperatures in and around the area right now. It's 53 in Covington as well as Gulfport, 57 degrees in Homa Thibodeau, 59 degrees in Baton Rouge, and in the Crescent City, we're reporting 60-degree temperatures. It is already 5 after the hour, so get going, get up, and thanks for waking up with us and tuning your heart to the truth. There's more coming up. morning and a blessed feast of the chair of St. Peter. Today's gospel comes to us from Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. We've heard the gospel, and now we reflect. It is significant that Jesus identified the human head of his church at Caesarea Philippi because the pagan shrines there represented the Roman Empire's preoccupation with power, sex, and wealth. In response to Jesus' first question, the apostles answered that the people placed Jesus in kind of the Hebrew Hall of Fame. And when Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? The Heavenly Father prompted Peter to reply, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response, Jesus named Peter the head of his church when he said, You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the powers of death will not prevail against it. Peter, then, will become the human foundation of the church. But Jesus is the builder that supports the foundation. Then, Citing Isaiah 22, Jesus stressed that Peter would hold an office in his kingdom as the chief steward, and in that office, he would give him the absolute authority to make definitive decisions in matters of faith and practice. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This authority to bind and loose is a biblical basis for papal infallibility because God cannot bind or loose in heaven anything that is false. The change of Simon's name to Peter is also significant because it indicates that Jesus was installing Peter into a new office and task. Matthew then gives the feminine Greek word for rock, Petra, a masculine ending, Petros, as is required in Greek grammar for a man's name. 
Peter exercised his infallible authority at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 when he addressed the issue of circumcision and the Mosaic law. Peter declared, We believe that we shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter had spoken. The matter was settled. And all the assembly kept silence. The debate was over. Have a wonderful day. This is Jimmy Sagers. Thank you, Jimmy. Almost 11 after the hour on this Thursday morning, February, uh, January. February 22nd. What is it? I know. Uh, but it's our, our uh, <laughs> deal is saying January 22nd. Yeah, well, for time flies. Real quick. <laughs> Computer glitch here. Uh, by the way, speaking of glitches, if you have an AT&T service for your phone, uh, service is out throughout the country in a lot of areas. So don't panic. They're working on it from what we understand. Uh, but uh, be patient. And hopefully they'll get that corrected. In the meantime, we have some events we'd love to share with you. Uh, Coming up on March 10th, St. Catherine of Siena and the Knights of Columbus will be hosting the 21st Annual First Responders Mass at 11 a.m. Archbishop Gregory Amon will celebrate the Mass honoring police, firefighters, and EMS first responders from Jefferson Parish and the Louisiana State Police. The Mass will be followed by a reception held at St. Catherine's Siena Barrett Complex. The event is open to all members of the J.P. Sheriff's Department, the Fire Department, and the emergency medical technicians, including the municipalities of Kenner, Harahan, Gretna, and West Wego. And if you want to save a spot, you need to do that. We have that information for you at ccmedia.live. And if you live in the New Orleans area, this retreat might be for you. The retreat's goals are to strengthen our faith and its application in our daily lives, to renew ourselves spiritually, and to build strong, lasting friendships. It'll be held at the Archdiocesan Retreat Center in Metairie beginning at 5.45 p.m. on April 11th. And it includes lodging, single occupancy rooms, all meals and supplies in the retreat also will in, uh, conclude Sunday at 11 a.m. Mass, and that's also at St. Catherine of uh, Siena. A reception and celebration will follow. So to register, well, just go to ccmedia.live. We'll have that info for you. Yes, we will. And there will be a day of prayer, fellowship, and reflection on Saturday, March 9th over at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Baton Rouge from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you are a member of the Knights of Peter Claver or Ladies Auxiliary, the Knights of Columbus, or uh, the Catholic Daughters of America in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, you are invited to attend. You can go to ccmedia.live for more information and to register. All righty. Theology on Tap, presented by St. Anselm's Young Adult Ministry, is returning for the winner series. It's going to be starting in March. In fact, March 6th is the first meeting. You can join the gang at Fat Boys Pizza in Covington for some faith, food, and fellowship. And again, it's March 6th. Uh, go to ccmedia.live if you need more info. Strong emphasis on food if it's at Fat Boys, huh? There'll be a St. Joseph Ladies Tea featuring speaker Gene Gatz on Saturday, February 24th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's at St. Joseph's Hall. It's next to St. Joseph's Cathedral in downtown Baton Rouge. You can host a table of six for only $50 for this event. And the topic is titled Unwrapping God's Gifts in Your Life. Go to ccmedia.live again. 
And real quick, St. Catherine of Siena presents Alpha, which takes place over an 11-week session. And it began on January 23rd, but it's going to be uh, qu for quite some time into March. You can go and look at the various dates at ccmedia.live. Each session will run from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. and includes a meal. They're going to be watching a video and discussing the video in a small group. Child care is provided during the sessions. You can go to ccmedia.live for all of those details. Okay. Thank you so much for that. And, of course, we have a chock-a-block full of calendar of events, mm -hmm. not only for mm -hmm. February, but the month of March and beyond. So you can go there at any time, as Gabby said, ccmedia.live and get all the information and details of all these events we share with you and more. In the meantime, coming up next, Deacon Richard Abadante. He is a deacon at St. John Vianney in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. We're going to find out what got him to become a deacon and also learn why it's a great vocation here on... This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for February 22nd. Today we celebrate the chair of St. Peter the Apostle. Put another way, today we commemorate Christ's choosing of Peter to sit in his place as the earthly leader of the church, its first pope. Probably the best-known biblical text for today's feast is found in the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus describes Peter as the rock upon whom he will build his church and promises him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter has a unique status as the first disciple Jesus calls at the outset of his public ministry. Likewise, Peter is consistently named first among the twelve disciples. He witnessed Jesus transfigured and was asked to watch and pray with the Lord during the agony in the garden. Rushing to the empty tomb after the resurrection, John steps aside to allow Peter to enter before him. From early times, the chair or cathedra from which a bishop presided over his people became a symbol of his teaching authority. It was so for Peter as first bishop of Rome, and it remains so for the more than 260 popes who have followed him. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Rolling right along on this Thursday morning. It is almost 19 after the hour. With us now in studios, Deacon Richard Abadante. He is a deacon at St. John Vianney in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And we're going to hear all about what got him to become a deacon, the calling itself, and more. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Hey, so starting right off, when did you become a deacon and, and why? Uh, December of 2012, I was ordained in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. I had done various things in church, and a deacon had suggested, hey, you ever thought about being a deacon? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, I, I said, no, and I kind of blew it off. And then, he, unfortunately, he passed away. And I, at the time, I was doing an adoration hour, and I was like, I, I need to do more in the church, and I'm not sure what it is. And then that thought of being a deacon came back to me. Hmm. So I'm in Adoration Chapel. I said, Lord, I need a sign. You need to tell me what to do. So my hour was over, and I was walking out the door, and I had a prayer partner, and mm -hmm. he came to me and said, you ever thought of being a deacon? <laughs> oh, wow. So I said, here's your sign. There's your sign. <laughs> That's right. So then I had to go home and tell my wife, hey, I'm thinking about being a deacon. 
And after she got up off the floor, <laughs> after passing out, uh, we moved forward, and the timing was perfect. In two weeks was the first, what we call, discernment meeting mm-hmm. of being a deacon. Wow. And it was a several-month process understanding what a deacon does, because really, I had no clue. Yeah. And um, I'll always remember there were 94 of us at the very first meeting. Goodness. And 20 of us were ordained. Wow. Now, your class made up 20, or it 20. took a while for all 20 of y'all to, to get through the No, program. we were a whole class. New Orleans does it a little bit differently. Yeah. We do it every couple of years. Well, that's fantastic. So here you are, <clears throat> being a deacon then, or going to the classes then, totally different than they are now. Oh, totally. So what? What? share with us real quick what you had to go through versus what one goes through now if they want to consider the diaconate program. I think the biggest difference is we try to do a better job of explaining to the men and their spouses, because your spouse is very important. They're a partner. You know, Mm -hmm. if my wife, any way along the process, said, no, I don't want to be a deacon, I'm not a deacon. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Even up to the very last minute. Mm -hmm. And so we try to do a much better job explaining the challenges of being a deacon. You know, when I decided to move here from New Orleans, I talked to Archbishop Amen and said, you know what told us it was God? family and diaconate Mm -hmm. and that's what i'm doing i'm closer to my oldest daughter here and so we try to give them a better feel of what is it like because you have a lot of classwork you know we know more about our faith and how to do a mass and those kinds of logistical things but in the real world a lot of people have come to me just to talk to me because i'm a husband i'm a father i'm Mm -hmm. a grandfather i've worked and they feel more of a connection not that they don't want to talk to priests but they feel a bit more comfortable. Like right. I, like right. annulments is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, in my experience, a lot more deacons handle annulments. Do they? In my experience. Yeah, no, yeah. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. Because but I can see that. I would understand very that, very time-consuming. Yes. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. time And consuming. you understand marriage. Right. And the, the pitfalls of no. marriage, also the, the beauty of marriage. Yes. So becoming a deacon, then, uh, today— is what, like a five-year process? Five years. But back then, you were going to school like on a once-a-week deal. We, we did it uh, every other Saturday from 8 to 5 for five years. Wow. And now they do Thursday nights here, I know, and then they do some additional. It's pretty much all at Fran U mm-hmm. up here. Okay, so, yeah, they have a great they have uh, very good format. Mm-hmm. You're not kidding. So when you left New Orleans, you now live in Baton Rouge. Right. How did you... Why did you come to Baton Rouge? And secondly, was the transition easy? In other words, you don't hear too many deacons leaving one diocese and going to another. Right. Well, the main reason we came here is because someone has to drive the grandkids somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> to school or after school activities. The grandkids will do it, yes. You know, and Uber gets really expensive compared yes. to grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, it's been great watching it. To be honest, it's great to see the grandkids grow up. Right you know, there. real close, because my parents, you know, being from New Jersey, my parents didn't come as much, nor did Diane's parents come very much. So, sure. you know, it's been a great opportunity. And so I think the biggest difference is uh, here is that we, we have the same opportunities, but here some deacons actually go work in the diocese, or in their churches where they, you know, when they become deacons, where mm-hmm. in New Orleans it, it was different. And, you know, there's a special camaraderie with deacons. It's hard to explain, but it's very, very different. And when you get to know the deacons through your formation, it becomes a very close bond. Yeah, it's like a fraternity. It's like a family. I mean, because when I I was accepted, I didn't know those 19 other guys Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. 
and now we're very close and most sure. of us still keep in contact in fact just last week after our retreat my wife and i went to lunch with a couple of deacons that we're in formation with mm-hmm. oh, wow. so it's a very special bond yeah and so it's getting used to the logistics oh you're at this church because where I live, um, I could walk the most blessed sacrament. So right. I knew they won't put me there because it's too easy. Ah, and you see, and that's what I was going to ask you. How did they decide what church parish? A lot of times you work in the church parish where you're a parishioner, but not always, right? No, when I was ordained in New Orleans, I was not assigned to my home parish. The church I went to, St. Peter's in Reserve, unfortunately had lost their deacon to his wife's illness. Mm. So they had no deacon, mm-hmm. and my church already had a deacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they put me there. And it was challenging. You know, you were at this one place for so many years, and then you got to know, get, learn a priest and how they do things and people you didn't really know very well. Right. And at, like St. George, I will honestly they've been very, very open. Um, in fact, a couple mornings a week after morning mass, we go have breakfast at Chick-fil-A with mm-hmm. a small group. Mm-hmm. So it's really been it's really been a, a very, very rewarding experience. You probably got this close bond because you're in the trenches together. You guys do a lot of work. You know, when they say deacons serve, deacons really do serve. No, and I think that's the biggest thing we try to explain to potential candidates is, you know, see us on the altar, right? Right. Like I've served at the cathedral with Bishop Duca. You see us, that's probably less than 5% of my time. Yes, right. You're doing you know, a it's, lot of it's other. these annulments, it's marriage prep with your spouse, you know, it's writing homilies, all this preparation mm-hmm. that you do, you know, just meeting with people, visiting the sick. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I tell them, you know, a lot of people don't see what I do, and that's fine because God sees what I do. Now, yeah. you mentioned St. George, but you don't, you're not at St. George, you're at St. John Vianney. Right. I'm right? sorry, St. John. My yeah. grandkids, Your grandkids are, at St. are at St. George. Right. Okay. Ah, so you, you hop back and forth a lot. Of I, I, I do some things, Father. Father, he's been very generous of letting me serve sometimes. I surprise <laughs> my kids. Him. Yeah. You know, I got to Aww. baptize three of my grandchildren. Nice. That's nice. Did we so, your first assignment is St. John Vianney? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So what would you share with someone if they're getting that little voice that says, or they're hearing someone say, oh, you need to become a deacon? What, what, what would you recommend and what should they do? Well, the, the first thing we need to understand is that the deacon comes from the Latin word diaconate, which means to serve. And so we have to be a servant. And so you, you look through the gospel, right, when uh, you know Jesus' feet are being washed with the women's you know, tears and hair, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, Martha put, took the better part to listen. So we have to serve. And part of that serving is doing things that we don't want to do sometimes mm-hmm. or it's uncomfortable to do. But in, it's in those uncomfortable moments of serving the Lord is when you really afterwards really appreciate that opportunity. You know, it's not easy to go to like Ozanam Inn or go to the prison. You know, I right. go to the prison right. and see these people right. in prison. And I tell people a lot of times, they just made bad choices. They're not mm-hmm. bad people. Mm-hmm. But not going that had that opportunity, I would have never realized that. Yes. And right. you don't have to be retired to become a deacon. I think that's a misconception. No, no I actually was working at Shell when I became a deacon. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Did, yeah. Was it tough? It was very hard. At, yeah. So uh, that's one thing you do have to take into consideration. Right. I was fortunate. I used to work four 10-hour days, Monday through Thursday. So Friday, I would go like to the VA home. Mm. Oh, wow. I would go to school. I'd go to prison. I'd do some of my ministries on my day off. Wow. You know, to kind of balance it. And then it just got to be, I can't do all of this. Yeah, it's a lot. You yeah. know, and uh, I've been blessed financially, so we decided 
it's time to step away. Yeah. So yeah. when one is considering the diaconate program, is there a certain time of the year? I know, like with RCIA, for example, you you get uh, right. inducted to the church on, on Easter. Is there a waiting period if I want to start because of classes? How's that work? Actually, you need to look at the uh, diocesan webpage, but they have started some discernment meetings for okay. for the the men and their spouses. Certainly, need to attend. I was blessed; my wife could attend mm-hmm. almost all the sessions with me because, you know, uh, I explained it like this: if I go to Alaska and bring you pictures of Alaska and you've never been there, you'd be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, it's, it's nice," <laughs> but if you've been to Alaska, like, oh, I remember that place exactly, and we. You know, our faith has grown together. We have much more deeper faith-filled discussions, and we've certainly grown closer because of the diaconate. Mm-hmm. After your wife came to when she passed out and you told her you were <laughs> going to become a deacon, what? how important of a role did she actually play in getting you through? Oh, she was my support. I mean, I could tell even today, 12 years later. Not that too, yeah. It has to be that way. Uh-huh. When I preach yeah. on a Sunday homily, I review it with her. And I was going to say, is she yeah. uh, one of your biggest oh critics slash fans? Oh, yeah. And when I see this, <laughs> okay, that's, <laughs> coming, that's <laughs> coming out he of the homily. He up his face there. Yeah, okay. it's, it's coming yeah. out. Or, or she'll say, have you thought about this? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, my wife was certainly more faithful than I was when I started the diaconate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she had been praying for me. Wow. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, we appreciate your service to yes. the church, Catholic Church. I know you're a great uh, deacon over at St. John Vianney. You were with uh, Father Tom as well as now yes. Father Eric. So how yeah. cool was that, too? So. Oh, Father Tom. They're both great, great priests. It's just, you know, their personalities are so cool. It yeah. really is. Well, you sound like a cool deacon. Good to meet you. Thank you Look very much. Enjoy, enjoy the beignet. Yeah, fingers. thank you for that, too. Thank you for those as well. <laughs> All right. Deacon Richard Abadante from St. John Vianney Church Parish. We got more coming up. God bless. It is 35 past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith along with the dancing David Dawson and Damian Collado. Yeah. (laughs) When Dave plays the drums, it looks like he's dancing. Yeah. Dance there you Dave go. Well, you ought to see him on the dance floor. Dance at Dave on drums. Oh, no. It's the effects of beignets and sugar, you know. Oh, well, let's talk to our next guest, David Dawson Jr., and find out his take. Actually, David Dawson Jr. is a COO of Witness to Love, and every Thursday we talk about marriage and family life. And Dave, good morning. Today we are talking about how to continue to choose your spouse. Tell us a little bit more about yeah. your insights, tips, yeah. and uh, thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, I think these days make it tough to be, you know, married in such a way that helps us to, to I don't know, thrive and grow as opposed to just grow stagnant um, in our relationship with our, with our spouses. Uh, we often just kind of become co-workers. You know, I had some friends that say we're just two people taking care of the same group of kids, you know. Um, one of the things is that the things that we choose, uh, the things that affect us, the things that we enjoy or that we appreciate are often things that like, they just, they, they make us feel a certain way. Um, we kind of put ourselves in a position at, to where it's easy to feel good about something. You know, we watch movies, TV, um, you know, look at videos on our phone and we just kind of sit there and turn ourselves off and let ourselves be affected or stimulated, you know, um, 
it's not something we really choose. Like those aren't, those aren't, we kind of just let it happen to us. Uh, food, you know, we put ourselves in positions to where people are going to feed us good food, you know, mm-hmm. or it's going to be, you know, we look for ways that, that, that we're going to be affected and, 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 and receive joy uh, without having to put a whole lot of effort or a whole lot of will into it. And I think that's the case with so many things in our lives um, that when it comes to marriage, which is such a gift, and we all know that it is, we assume kind of subconsciously that it's supposed to be that way too. You know, that when we first start dating, we get married, uh, we're so easily affected in ways that we're not necessarily choosing um, that, that, you know, when, when our significant other walks into a room, we don't choose the butterflies, you know, we don't choose uh, to be excited, like the adrenaline pump, and like it just happens to us. And I think the assumption is that's the way it's always going to be. And if it's not that way, then something's wrong. Uh, we kind of put our, our spouse in the same bucket as like, you require too much energy, this requires too much energy. And if you could just change, you know, who you are, <laughs> the way you operate or something, then then this would be more exciting or I'd be more excited or, or whatever. You know, we kind of we could put the blame on them. We put the blame on circumstances. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, all it takes is a little bit of will to be like, I choose to focus on you today. I choose to focus on like, because you know the gift that our spouses are is so much more complex than a YouTube video, right? Or or a bowl of ice cream. It's just that the gift is way deeper and more complex. And so we're so used to the shallow stuff that sometimes we miss opportunities to be like, no, no, no. I'm going to choose something a little bit a little bit deeper. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can we? What are some opportunities that we can do today to start if we're kind of in the funk and uh, we're wondering, you know, I'm just living with someone that I don't know anymore, or I feel like he or she is a roommate. You like, like you said, your your yeah. couple friend feels like they're just taking care of the same group of children and they're just going through the motions. Right. What can we do today to choose our spouse? Yeah, I think the the first step. Uh, and then there's a number of things that are going to sound somewhat, you know, stereotypical. But the first step is the one we typically miss the most is recognizing that I'm, that's what I'm, that I'm doing this wrong. Recognizing that, like, I may be missing out here because I'm not choosing my spouse. I'm not choosing to focus on them and choosing to see the awesomeness that's right here next to me. Um, now, it's a habit thing. And it's not something that, you know, we need to be afraid of that if we recognize it, like, you know what? Truth be told, in every marriage, we've slipped on this. We haven't used our, our will to choose to say, because like, here's the thing, you can't choose to feel a certain way, but you can choose to say, I'm going to stop focusing on everything else and just focus on you and, and re- be reminded of what a gift you are, right? Uh, and so, for instance, things like date nights, making that happen, fighting for that uh, is important because typically what happens with most married couples, we're like, yeah, we should do that. And then we just don't. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we don't choose it. The assumption is we're too busy. But we're busy with the things that we're choosing to prioritize, even if it's putting out fires, even if it's important things. And they all are. Uh, they're all important. But when we choose it, we say, no, 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 this is more important than all those other things. Mm-hmm. Choosing date night is hard for that very reason. But when we do, it's amazing how this first 45 minutes we're like, all right, well, here we are, two coworkers on a, you know, on a date. Um, but after about 45 minutes, we're like, wait a minute. You are cool. I forgot about this. This is good. This, you know, I enjoy being with you, but it takes time because we're not in the habit. You know, it's interesting, Dave. Uh, we're both involved with the the domestic church, and the domestic church yeah. organization and everything has a required time, or we make a commitment yeah. to have somewhat of a date night, but it's called a dialogue. And we really think right. we talk all the time. 
And we, you know, and we're like, wow, gosh, that was a great conversation we just had. It went on for an hour and everything like that. But when we schedule to say, okay, we are going to go deep. We're going to go to that. We do not do that. That takes a lot of discipline. However, every time we do it, that's one of the most powerful things we've ever done. Mm. And, of course, we always say we got to do this more often. And then the yeah. next, just what you're saying, and then the next month comes up, it's like, yeah, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, right? We'll get to it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. The assumption is, and this, we do this for a lot of things, the assumption is I want it. When the truth is I don't actually want it as much as I think they do, <laughs> that I do, and, and, and my wants end up being squandered on such tiny, goofy things. Goofy stuff, yeah. Uh, and, and, and they take over. But, but yeah, I think that the, it surprises us. You know, these dialogues, like you're saying, when we schedule them and we do it, it's like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. there is so much more to you than I thought there was. And I feel like kind of an idiot that I was missing it, but thank mm-hmm. God we're here, you know? Yes. Uh, it, but it takes, it does. It takes choosing to say, I'm going to see something that I'm not seeing on a regular basis, which means that I might not have this right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to choose to let you affect me in ways that maybe I can't expect. Mm-hmm. That's what, date nights are like a, a mini example of that, but these dialogue nights are like on steroids. I mean, that, that's, that's where the, 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 the meat is. And it's always surprising how good it is. Uh, and, and, our, and our, how good it is to be with our spouses and, and, and to dig into that. It's such a gift. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. The one thing that sticks in my head right now are love languages. So maybe saying yeah. something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cook dinner today, even if it's just grilled cheese, you know, if you don't know how to cook or That's something cooking. simple, you know, it's, <laughs> it's still whoever cooks usually has a break that night or how about I help you do this or do you want to go out or Mm -hmm. bringing flowers if they're a gifts person or even writing a note, sending a text, just something that lets them feel loved and kind of fills their tank up a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's another symptom of survival mode uh, that we all tend to be in. And uh, uh, unfortunately when we, when we're in survival mode, we're not thinking about, what would what would my spouse like? We're thinking about like I need somebody to take care of me because I'm dying here. Yeah, um, Dave. And so yeah, that ends up being a huge obstacle. Yeah, isn't it a challenge also because women like feelings and there's a lot of feelings in what they do, and men aren't quite as mm-hmm. emotional. So that sometimes that doesn't mean I don't love my wife any more than I did the yeah. day I married her. I just don't express right, myself right. in a feeling sort of way. And that is sometimes right. where conflict comes in as well. Right. And you know, it's, it's, that's like one of about 12 different examples that I can think of, of how men and women do things almost from an opposite perspective and even see reality from an opposite perspective. And sometimes it can feel like a sick joke, you know, that God made us this way. But, you know, the truth is it's only a problem when I'm focused on me. And like I said, that survival mode issue, uh, what attracted us to our spouses is not, you know, that they're like us, is that they're totally different. And that like, that is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the differences in our spouses is what attracts us because God made us in such a way that we are attracted to otherness, someone who's not us. Mm-hmm. And so but when it comes to marriage, and especially when we start getting into the grind and the groove, we're just trying to focus on getting through the day. And when I'm focused on survival and getting through the day, otherness is a burden, right? I don't want to have to think about somebody else. I just want to get what I need. Mm-hmm. And so choosing our spouse requires that I'm like letting go of my own survival, so to speak, and being able to focus on like I've got, just like when I was dating and I wasn't so focused on my survival, I've got something beautiful and other and, and mysterious and wild, you know, it still right could happen. Yeah, and I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, and because it's still true. Yes. Yeah, that's right. 
It is. David Dawson Jr., COO of Witness to Love. You can go to witnesstolove.org to find out more information about Dave. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, indeed. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Just screamed into the mic. Sorry about that, Dave. Uh, but they were so glad to have you with us. Uh, St- Stephanie Gray joins us when we return from the break. It is 45 past the hour on Wake Up. Forty-eight past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm David Dawson, along with Damian Collado, and right now our guest is Stephanie Gray. She's the she's a Catholic author and pro-life advocate, and we're going to talk about her book, My Body for You. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Yes, indeed. I love the title of your book, by the way, because you know we're always hearing and we're always seeing the signs and the slogans, "My body, my choice," and this is my body for you. What a what a complete opposite. What a beautiful way of putting this mm-hmm. thing. Is is that why you came up with the title of the book? Yeah, you know, I I just was reflecting on this "my body, my choice" mantra being so self-absorbed and self-interested, mm-hmm. and realizing the greatest example of love was Jesus, who laid down His life for us, mm-hmm. and we are called to pick up our cross and follow Him. And um, of course, I've always known that, being you know raised in the faith, but certainly the last few years when I have become a mother that has really transformed my understanding of those words and what it means to give yourself for another and how we're ultimately all called to that, whether biological or spiritual. And it, it is just a beautiful, beautiful title. And then, of course, the second part of the title is a pro-life message for a post-Roe world. And that's important, too, because uh, it just just because of Roe versus Wade was overturned doesn't not mean the, the, the battle is over, does it? Right. You know, I, I've often remarked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that it was a battle that was a, that was won, but a war is still raging. Yeah. And we're seeing that state after state, where while some states have enhanced protections for preborn children, other states have expanded attacks on preborn children. Surprisingly, even some states like Ohio just a few months ago, you know, making right. a state constitutional change in support of abortion. And so there is a need to you know, continue the battle in the fight and even increase our presence and our messaging because uh, we still have a lot of work to do. Mm, yeah, yeah, before we get into the book, I'm uh, reading a little bit about you, that you're, you're an author and you're a speaker, and you, you presented pro-life topics around the world, and you've lectured at Google headquarters, uh, talks at Google. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, you, you wandered right into it. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> You know what? It went remarkably well, and it was really a God thing. I felt almost like, you know, when Moses went through part of the Red Sea and God was just making a way for the Israelites to freedom. And when the opportunity came to speak in such a secular environment, um, I was kind of doubtful that it would end up actually happening. But there was a staff member at Google that said, look, we're allowed to initiate speakers. And the head of Planned Parenthood has come in. I would like to use Google's um, embrace of tolerance as a basis to justify bringing you in as an alternative wow. viewpoint to wow. consider another perspective. Wow. And I feel like God blinded the people there that needed to be blinded and gave sight to the people who needed to be, be given sight, and the waters were parted, and I had this opportunity to speak, and then it went viral on, on Google's own YouTube channel, and years later, there, the video was still there, one of their most watched videos wow. on their channel. Huh. Wow. Do you think you changed any hearts? Did you, did you get any feedback? 
You know, you, you get a little bit of feedback. It's yeah. hard in some venues. I actually can survey my audiences, and that wasn't an environment that was conducive for me to be able to do my own evaluation. But uh-huh. there's, if you look at comments on videos, you can see people saying, wow, this, this message has really impacted me and, and caused me to reconsider. So, so definitely that's the beauty of modern technology is there's the people that were, you know, on staff in presence. Mm-hmm. In, in the presence of the presentation, but then there's the hundreds of thousands of people that have been reached online, um, and that number still grows. You know, and, and, and how you presented it, I'm sure, if, if this book is any reflection on that, you have incredible, and I don't want to say in argu- arguments, you just are, are have statements in these chapters that are very loving, and an example, the, some of these chapters, uh, What Are Bodies For?, what did, When Did Our Bodies Begin?, uh, when our bodies become home, when our bodies, bodies become crime scenes. And the greatest example of my body for you, this is one of my favorite chapters. Reading that was just beautiful because it's very Eucharistic, isn't it? Absolutely. And my own experience, you know, being in the presence of the, you know, um, transubstantiation and, and the Eucharist Mass, I was breastfeeding my six-month-old daughter. Yeah. At the exact moment, Father lifted the bread and said, take and eat, this is my body yeah. given for you. And here is this piece of bread that's to be transformed into Christ's body. And I realized as we are to consume Christ, my own child is literally consuming me, and I am meant to, you know, be transformed as a mother to really say to my offspring, this is my body given for you. And it starts in pregnancy, but it doesn't end at birth. <laughs> It yes. just continues well beyond, you know, you really have to give of, of entirely of yourself for the well-being Stephanie, of another, but that ultimately leads to our flourishing. Yeah. Stephanie, how can we stand strong as being pro-life in today's culture when it's just getting louder and louder? States are turning people who are once pro-life are now pro-choice because they're trying to choose the lesser of two evils whenever it's presented to them. How can we continue to be pro-life, especially when we have some elections coming up later this year? Right, yes. Well, we need to stand firm ourselves. We need to raise our voices, and we need to connect with what I call the gatekeepers. So those are our pastors and priests. Those are our school principals and people who have access to audiences. And we need to appeal to them to either give us access or give, you know, local organizations and other, and other groups access to reach these people, to give them proper formation, which is what the book is all about so that we can think properly and speak properly and, and live properly on this issue. Um, Because the more people we can reach with the pro-life message when it comes to actually how they vote, uh, that will be determined by how they think. And so we need to spend, you know, the next half or so year uh, really focusing on influencing how people think. Yes. You know, targeting them with, I've 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 heard it once said, weapons of mass instruction. (laughs) Weapons of mass instruction. I like that. I like that. Well, I'd love to hear that coming from the pulpit a lot more, Stephanie. That's wonderful. Well, Stephanie, yeah, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. And uh, I, I look, a lot of folks, a lot of us need to get this book. And this is a good time to get this book with elections coming up and such. It's, it's powerful, but at the same time, it's very, very informative. Uh, how, do, how do we get this book? 
Yes, go to the stpaulcenter.com. That's just stpaulcenter.com slash you. And if your listeners type in the coupon code for you 15 then they will get a little discount there. Oh, so nice. stpaulcenter.com slash you. Well, Stephanie, God bless you. God bless the work you do. And I, I'm looking forward to speaking with you again soon, I hope. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, Stephanie. It's a great book. It's yeah. Good. It, very it, nice. It's very good. Since it, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, 89,000 babies have been saved. Isn't that wonderful? Yep. But, but the and battle has counting. become local. That's the local, important part. Statewide. Yeah, exactly. Each state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still got right. 26 states in the District of Columbia to convert. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's keep praying. And we're going to wrap up today with a, a prayer called the Act of Love. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Oh, my God, I love you above all things with my whole heart and soul because you are all good and worthy of all love. I love my neighbor as myself for the love of you. I forgive all who have injured me, and I ask pardon of all whom I have injured. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. We have some events in our listening area we will give you details about. Gary Zimak, Catholic evangelist and speaker and Catholic author from Following the Truth, will talk about how to ease anxiety and trust in our Lord, especially during Lent. And he'll probably tie in uh, Give Up Worry for Lent, one of his most popular books as well. And Dr. Brian Pedraza, theologian over at Fran U., We'll talk about the Dominus Project, so we'll go in depth about this wonderful new initiative over at Franciscan Missionaries University in Baton Rouge. Thank you so much, Jeff Blackwell, our audio director, and Karen Cotton, our video technical director for today's amazing show. Have a wonderful Thursday. God bless. is a production of Catholic Community Media.